But this is a wonderful time of year, isn't it? Aren't you excited about the Christmas season? Uh, yes, it is a happy holiday, but it's Christmas, and we're thankful for Christmas, thankful for what it means to us as individuals, what we celebrate with it, and that, of course, is the birth of our Savior. Um, my, my kids have expressed uh, subtly, they think subtly, their desire for certain items to receive that day, and uh, we're, we always love that part of it. I remember I was thinking through some of the gifts that I, uh, the Christmases I remember as a kid growing up. And I remember one time I went to my dad a couple days before Christmas, and my dad at the time was, was playing, I think, the, on the church softball team or, or something. And I was about seven years old. I said, hey, Dad, do you have your own softball? And I love questions like that from kids because you, know you know what they're getting at. And I'm trying to think of what I get my, my family for Christmas, you know. So I go to the, he says, no, I don't think I have my own ball. So I, I, I go to my, my bedroom and I pull out the bag of balls that my dad gave me. Uh, and I find the softball in there. And of course it wasn't brand new, it was dirty. Uh, it was well used. And uh, I went to my mom and I said, I need some wrapping paper for this. Because obviously if you wrap a ball, nobody knows what that is. And uh, so I think I ended up taking a, a paper grocery bag and cutting that out and <clears throat> wrapping this baseball and, or softball and, and writing on it to my dad. And I remember Christmas morning getting uh, my turn to give my gifts and, and I remember going to get that, that ball under the tree and realizing very quickly that I think my dad was going to figure out what it was before he opened it. And so I, I bring it to my dad, he's sitting in the chair and I, and I get up in his lap and, and I give it to him and he opens it up and acts surprised of course and and he tells me this is one of the most precious gifts he's ever received. And uh, that meant a lot to me. That's why that stuck with me all these years. And I realize now that uh, my dad was lying to me. It was a dirty old softball. But really it wasn't the value of the item, but the value of the giver that he was most appreciative of. And so as we think about that this time of year, that has nothing to do with the message. But there is a, there is a great principle there. We recognize that Christ is the greatest gift that we could be given. And all God asks in return is us giving ourselves to him. Not that we have anything that he would have need of except just us. He wants us. And so I would encourage you that uh, you take some time this Christmas season to pause and reflect as we get to the end of 2023. I cannot believe we're at the end of 2023. And to say, God, thank you for all you've given to me. I simply want to give myself to you. And what a thrill, I know God would say, that's one of the best gifts I've ever received. And so may we be faithful to serve him and thank him for the opportunity to be a part of his work uh, here at Campus Church and the community that he's called us to, to be in. And may we be faithful to do all that he desires for us to do. You're in Luke chapter two with me this morning. I, I uh, love this passage for, for many of us. It is a passage that we read regularly uh, at Christmas time. <clears throat> I grew up with the tradition of uh, Christmas morning, we'd wake up as a family and we would, uh, my dad would sit us around the living room and he would go through this passage and we would read it as a family. And it was funny to see that eternal struggle uh, to my dad reading this story and to me and my sisters focusing on the gifts that he was sitting next to. Because you knew as soon as he was done that we were gonna, we were gonna get into the gift side. But this passage is, is one of my favorites even beyond the Christmas season because of the, 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 the powerful examples that are set here. I love reading scripture and I love reading and going through the characters of the Bible. Uh, we understand this is God's story. We understand that that's all history is, is just God doing what he wants. We understand in Proverbs it says that the Lord maketh all things for himself. And so anything in this world, anything in the timeline of history is be used for his glory. In this story we have, of course, the wonderful birth of our Savior. 
But in this chapter also are some characters that I absolutely love reading about. I love reading their, their, their experiences. I love reading what they uh, got to, to see in this story as it unfolded. And as I read Luke chapter 2, I, I think often about God's plan. There had to be a lot of details to be taken care of for this plan to be fulfilled. And if I could this morning take a few moments and talk about lessons from God's Christmas servants. It's, it's not a profound thought, a profound topic, but I, I do love the lessons that we can see from some of these characters here in Luke chapter number 2. And so if you would look with me at the very beginning of the story in Luke chapter 2, verse number 1. It says this, and it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. This taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, unto Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. And very quickly, we're introduced to a couple of characters in this story, in this plan that God has established. First of all, we see Caesar Augustus. Now, we wouldn't typically think of God's plan involving somebody from the world. But while we can see that Caesar Augustus was in charge, or while he was ruling, God was always in charge. And as I pause for a moment and think about the world we live in, I am thankful that no matter what takes place, God is still in charge. The world we live in is scary at times. We, we, if you catch the news at all, you, almost, you get to the point you're not sure what to believe because of, uh, of the slant that news may have. But you see the headlines and you see things and you, you begin to think about uh, prophetic events. You begin to think about what is next. But regardless of it all, there is a God that is in control of all things. And Caesar Augustus, while he may think he was the one that was deciding what took place, he was really unknowingly being a part of what God's plan was. But then we're introduced to, to Joseph and his uh, wife Mary. His wife Mary, she's great with child. They go to, back to Bethlehem to be taxed or to be registered. It was a command that Caesar had put out there. And of course, at the time of Roman rule, when, the, when, the, when a king established something, you followed that command. You, you went and did what you were supposed to do. But while we see the details here, we must understand this. There is a plan that God is working, and it's our responsibility not to worry about the details, but to worry about our obedience to the plan. We see Joseph and Mary. Uh, there are some things about this. Who was involved? We mentioned Caesar Augustus. And, and it, they were under oppression. The Israelites were. They didn't know what was taking place, uh, but they were tired. They were hoping for some change, but yet they had to realize their, their, their requirement to obey the command. Also, what was involved? They traveled this great distance, some 80 miles. The distance was about a three days journey, and they make this journey. Of course, Mary being great with child. This was not a comfortable journey by any means. But she obviously was in no condition to be left back home. David, uh, Joseph is making this trip to Bethlehem, brings his wife. The journey is rough. The journey is exhausting. And it's uncomfortable. It's inconvenient. Yet there was a plan that God had in place. Because his word always comes true, and we can rest in that and trust that, we know that they had to be in Bethlehem. The Bible had foretold that truth. And so they make their journey. There was a, uh, it was a timely travel. By them getting to Bethlehem, shortly thereafter, of course, the Savior is born in the exact spot where the Bible had said he would be born. Where was it involved? Bethlehem, of course. It's where they had to go, but it wasn't home for them. And sometimes we feel unsettled as we're taken from the place that is comfortable to us. 
We're taken from the place that we know and that we, we feel settled in. And the reality is God may need to move us to have his plan come to fruition. They had to go there because God's word said so. Micah 5 verse 2. Now Bethlehem means house of bread and what a perfect place for the bread of life to be born in a city called Bethlehem. Now as many scholars believe that uh, it wasn't so much a stall as, as much as it was a cave, a, a nasty, dirty, dingy cave that, that animals were stored in, were kept in for protection. And here the, the, the very creator God came into human flesh and was born here in this place that was a place that we would try to avoid, try to get away from, yet it was God's plan. And I see Joseph and Mary, the lesson I learned from them is their obedience to God's plan. It doesn't always make sense to us. The details in our life that come up sometimes are confusing and oftentimes it's the unknown that causes concern and perhaps even fear. I would imagine as they were traveling to, to Bethlehem, they were obeying the command, but there had to be some uncertainty as they journeyed on this way, 80 miles. Perhaps Joseph was, was thinking, oh my goodness, I may have to help deliver a child on the way to Bethlehem. Some alarm there for sure. Perhaps they came across Roman soldiers and I'm sure there was some apprehension as that took place. In our own life, as we look at what God is doing, do we focus more on the circumstances or do we focus on the Savior? Do we spend more time worrying about what is out of our control instead of trusting the one that has everything under control? And what a blessing it would be if we would simply recognize God's plan, God's plan and then our responsibility to be obedient to God's plan. What a great gift to give the Savior on his birthday, our obedience to all that he has in store for us. Our life ought to be such that when God does his preparing work, we are ready to obey. When the world around us, around us looks at our life, they can say, there's something different. They, they, they live a life that looks to be at peace, and that peace can come from the obedience to God's plan. So my first lesson this morning that we'll share with you is obedience to God's plan, and we see that in Joseph and Mary. Second, we get to this next group of individuals, the shepherds. Pastor referenced them, I talked about them last Sunday night after the Christmas celebration as you shared the devotional. What a, what a great group this is, the shepherds. Of course, in, in, uh, in history here, shepherds were were uh, not the, the cream of the crop, they were social outcasts. They had a great work to do, a great responsibility, yet they were not highly favored or very popular. They were often unclean due to the nature of their job and they were out weeks at a time because of what they had to do and no chance of visiting the temple to be made clean. When uh, my wife and I had the chance to be missionary, uh, missionaries with Bering Push of Seed in El Paso, we'd take mission trips to the Navajo Reservation. And uh, often we would uh, go up there and a couple of times that we would go, the, uh, the church was a little smaller that we worked with because the, the uh, Navajo Indians would go out into the, the fields with their, their sheep to raise them, to, to get them uh, taken care of so that they can use them for the wool and of course the meat. And so they would be out for weeks and sometimes months taking care of those things and, and uh, th that was necessary for that area and it still is. But we understand the shepherds here, they, they didn't have a great reputation for those things. They, they oftentimes would take care of the sheep that were sacrificed in the temple, but uh, they were not thought highly of. And perhaps you could read this passage and think, why would God go to shepherds? Uh, the people that weren't the most popular, they didn't have the highest rank, they didn't have the greatest perhaps talent or abilities, and uh, why would God use shepherds? Well, I'm encouraged by this because to me it's a picture of God's grace. God didn't go to who the world thought he should go to. God went to the shepherds. 
And it's amazing to see that the good shepherd and the lamb of God sacrificed for your sins and for mine would reveal himself to shepherds. Those that were simply minding their business. The Bible says in verse number eight that at the end they were keeping watch over their flock. They were just faithfully doing what they were called to do. And I'm thankful for the fact that he went to the shepherds. Understand this, God doesn't call the rich and mighty, but rather the poor and the lowly. God doesn't need anything that we think is, is, is worth his attention. God simply requires that we would give ourselves. If you study the scriptures, he oftentimes uses that which is uh, humble and lowly. He used a burning bush instead of the great cedars of Lebanon. He used a harmless dove to represent instead of an eagle. He oftentimes used that which was simple and mundane. And because of that, we can have hope that he can use us for his grand plan. Now, the, the, the shepherds were given this news. Look at verse number nine. The lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were sore afraid. They certainly would be. You have to imagine every night they're out there with the sheep. It's pretty boring, right? There's not much action. You're, you're, you're talking, I mean, you're, you eventually talk to sheep. I would think, and we already know in scripture what happened when one man talked to an animal. The animal talked back. You begin to hear the, the sheep talking back to you. It's probably a bad conversation, but you go with that was so bad. That was bad. But anyway, it was a good bath? Good. Um, but they, I mean, they're out there all alone. They're, there's not much happening with, with, with shepherding. It, you have to keep an eye on the sheep, make sure they're all there. They probably had to count them every once in a while, make sure they had to fend off any creatures that would desire to devour the sheep. And all of a sudden, an angel of the Lord comes up and has this message testifying of God's plan. We see this plan unfold here as the angel uh, says to them, fear not, that's a good way to start the message because no doubt they were afraid. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. And I'm so thankful for all people. If you look over at verse number 31, uh, Simeon says in verse number 31, which thou hast prepared before the face of all peoples. I am thankful that the gospel, the good news got to all people. I'm thankful it didn't stay there just in Israel. It came to everybody that all who believes on Christ can know eternal life. But that message was there. The good news was given. And he, they, the angel talks about, unto you was born this day in the city of David, a savior, which is Christ the Lord. And they talk about the sign. You're gonna find this baby. He's gonna be wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Now, what was this good news? Certainly to many in the nation of Israel, it wasn't the news they'd hoped for. They hope, for, they hope for relief from the oppressive Roman government. They hope to get out of uh, uh, being imprisoned and being uh, fearful for their lives. It wasn't the news they hoped for, but it certainly was the hope that they needed. And because of this birth, we know that we can have that hope as well. A savior was sent to meet man's greatest need. The world at that time had known much war, but now one had come that would offer, offer everlasting peace. The Romans had tried to bring about peace, but it was only done through forceful means. There's a Stoic philosopher, Epictetus, who said once, while the emperor may give peace from war on land and sea, he is unable to give peace from passion, grief, and envy. He cannot give peace of heart for which man yearns more than even for outward peace. And while the world tries to offer peace, and they try to offer contentment, and they try to offer that which gives a temporary hope or even a false hope, the Prince of Peace is now introduced in this passage that will bring everlasting peace and everlasting hope. Why? Because it's God's plan. 
And while it didn't make sense to the world that they would, the message would be delivered to shepherds and it didn't make sense that this, this great king, as we read, would be born in a, in a cave or a, or a stall with filthy animals around and it didn't make sense that he wouldn't be born into a, a regal atmosphere, yet we understand that it's God's plan and he will do as he pleases. And what a pl- blessing it is to know that he desires to use us. He used these shepherds Now, the good news here, what should the good news do for us? Number one, the good news should prompt immediate action and not question. The angels disappear after they sing in verse number 14, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. By the way, heaven's gonna be a wonderful place of worship. For the angels to come and sing this grand song, listen, while they're talented and they can sing it great, they cannot sing a song of redemption. But you and I can. We'll spend eternity in heaven praising God for the redemption that he provided for us. He brought us from where we were to where we now have eternal hope. And what a beautiful song that's going to be. But after this angel sing this song, in verse number 15, it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them, the shepherds said one to another, let us now go. The angel gave this sign saying, hey, you're gonna see the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, now go. There weren't a lot of other details given. But they said, let's go. Now, I don't know if they just left their sheep to fend for themselves. I don't know if the sheep would have even noticed if they left them there or if they had somebody else come by and take care of them. But the shepherds now run to seek out this Savior, this Christ, this one that is now born. They said, let us now go even to Bethlehem. It may have been a long journey for them, but wherever the journey took them, they were ready to respond to the message that they had been given. And the good news should prompt a kind of action from us. Let me ask you here this morning, do you remember when you first heard the good news and trusted in it for your salvation? It's very easy in the, in the, in the scheduling that we have and the life that we lead to, to oftentimes forget, in a sense, what it was like to come from death unto life, to, to be born blind, but, but to now be able to see. Do you remember what the good news did for you? I, I had a chance to hear a testimony of someone this morning that was sharing their salvation testimony and the individual said, it's, it's not a great testimony, but we rejoice together that it was a testimony of God's grace. It has nothing to do with the details, but all about the grace extended from a loving God. That's his plan. Do you remember what the good news did for you? Well, if you do, then it should prompt you to action. It also, the good news should also be shared with passion. I think about this past weekend as we had folks come on this property uh, over 1,500 cars, I believe. What a remarkable, they kept coming. I think everybody in Pensacola at one point was parked in one of our parking spots. It was amazing. The same time, they just kept coming in. Uh, I heard that the interstate, had, it was backed up on the interstate. What a thrill. We loved it. it was, there was something coming to see. Now listen, when they come to see it, do we have something to offer them? Do we have something to tell them about? We talk often about the things that we're passionate about, don't we? It could be the football game. It could be the, the shopping, the stores, the cooking. It could be all kinds of hobbies and nothing wrong with those things. But the good news should be shared with a great passion. Are we faithful to tell people about Jesus Christ? Are we faithful to tell people about the good news, about what happened to you? We, we have no problem talking with our friends about those things that we have in common. But my greatest fear is that I'll get to heaven and people will come by me and say, why didn't you tell me? The good news prompted these shepherds to go and share what they heard. Look down with me in verse number 17. And when they had seen it, they had come to see the baby. They made haste in verse number 16. 
they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. In other words, they told everybody they could. The, the, the made known abroad literally means to make known thoroughly. They, they told everybody that they could. Perhaps people finally said, hey, listen, we know we heard you already. We, we heard you telling somebody else. What are you talking about this, this, this child? Well, you know, they were, and Israel was anticipating a Messiah, but now the details are coming out that there's this babe that's born, and it's, it's the Messiah, and, and the gift is here. The, 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 the mystery that, that we've been waiting for is revealed. The shepherds of all people were the ones telling the truth of the good news. Verse number 18 even describes that. All they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. Here's the shepherds running into town saying, hey, the good news, the gospel is here. It is, as Pastor said last week, it is now well. And people look at the shepherds and think, these guys have lost their mind. They've been out in the field too long. They don't know what they're talking about. Yet the shepherds were passionate about what they had seen. It even says in verse number 20, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. You know what the gospel, the good news should also do? It should prompt us to immediate action. It should prompt us to be sharing it with passion. It should also change us. The good news should change your life. It should change your family. It should change your home. It should change our church. And I'm thankful to be a part of a church that every week the good news of Jesus Christ is preached biblically. And we have hope to give to the world, whether it's through a, through a tract or whether it's through our personal testimony. What are we doing to give the gospel? It should change us. Their conversation in verse number eight was probably, like I said, pretty boring. I mean, how often do you, what are you talking about with your fellow shepherds? So how's your sheep doing today? Oh, they're all right. How's yours? Eh, woolly. I mean, what do you talk about? Your shepherds. But look what verse 20 says again. They returned glorifying and praising God for all that they had, all the things that they had heard and seen. It ought to change our life what God has done for you and for me. It ought, to bring, it ought to change our conversation. It ought to change our passions, our excitement. Why? Because of who God is and the plan that he is unfolding and wants us to be a part of. The shepherds saw this. The lesson I get from the shepherds is this. Do we respond with haste to the messages God gives us? And I'm not talking about some, some message outside of scripture. It's all through scripture. But when God gives us something in his word, are we passionate to share it with those around us? Are we passionate to reveal and point to him because he is worthy of that? Do we hasten to, to, to see those people that we need to give the gospel to? A gentleman I used to work with for many years said this in his prayers. He, Lord, he said, Lord, lead us to the person nearest to hell. Do you understand that the people you interact with today out in the community, one of them is gonna be closer to eternity than the rest of them. Are you ready to share the gospel? Are you ready to tell them about Jesus Christ? I'm thankful for our missionaries. I'm thankful for those of you in the church that are faithfully telling others about Christ. And that is our theme here at Campus Church, to know God and to make him known. What a thrill and a privilege we have to be able to do that. The third lesson I see this morning is, is found in verses 25 through 35 as we are introduced to this man called Simeon. Look at verse number 25. Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. By the way, what a tremendous testimony to be said about you in Scripture. The Holy Ghost is upon him. We know that uh, this morning Dr. Amsbaugh referenced that the Lord was with Mary. 
Joseph's testimony in the book of Genesis was that the Lord was with him, four times mentioned there in Genesis chapter 39. Can it be said that of us? The Lord is with us. Does our life show that the Lord is with us? Does our message, does our communication, all that we talk about, all that we do, does it show that the Lord is with us? Simeon was a man of great faith. The Holy Ghost was upon him, it says, in verse number 25. This shows that he was led by the Spirit. In verse number 26, and it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost. This shows that he was taught by the Holy Spirit. He walked with the Holy Spirit regularly to make sure he understood the scriptures. Perhaps his, his training, some scholars believe he was part of the Sanhedrin. Obviously, he would know the, the, the words of what the law said, what scripture said. But there's something different about Simeon than others there in the Sanhedrin. He believed it in his heart. He not just knew about the Messiah, he, he believed on the Messiah. He was ready for the Messiah to come. The Holy Spirit taught him. And then in verse number 27, he came by the Spirit into the temple. That means that he was obedient to the Spirit. If I could ask us all this morning, are we obedient to what the Spirit has for us? As we look at God's plan, as we look at the things that God desires to unfold in our life, it may hurt, it may be uncomfortable as it was for Mary and Joseph to come, but are we obedient to all that he desires? Are we willing to let the Spirit guide us and direct us and be led of the Spirit, as it says in Galatians chapter 5? I can promise you this, if we will, if we will be led of the Spirit, we will begin to see fruit of the Spirit. And that fruit that abounds to his glory and it reaches everybody around us. What a remarkable thing it would be to have God's plan unfold in our life in a way that shows everybody the truth of Jesus Christ. The lesson I see from Simeon's life, though, is this. Verse number 26, it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now, we don't know how old Simeon was. Some believe he was over 100 years old and was just waiting for the day to be able to, to pass away. He, he may have felt there were days that his journey was done. He was, he'd lived his life, he had lived his testimony faithfully, and it was time to go. Yet God had left him here until he saw the Christ child. Can I ask you this? If you are here today, does, not God, does, does God still not have more of a plan for you? If God was done with you, can I say this? We wouldn't be here. But for God to have you all here, for all of us to be here, there's still something God desires us to do. Are we sensitive enough to the Holy Spirit to see it and to obey it? Simeon was ready to go, no doubt, at times. But in verse 27, he comes by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace. Could you imagine Simeon's experience? He's been told, hey, listen, it's been revealed by the Holy Spirit. You will not see death until you see the Christ child. Oh, and day after day, he wonders, is, is this today? Is this the day that I'll see Jesus Christ? Is this the day that I'll see the, the promised one, the one that gives hope and everlasting life to everybody? The day comes, he goes into the temple. He sees this mother and father walking in with this baby. And I imagine if he's walking with the Holy Spirit, as the Bible says, that the Holy Spirit tugged in his heart and said, there's the baby. Could you imagine the excitement Simeon experienced? Of course, he experienced it big time because he went and took the baby. That would be so not good here. Uh, you know, when, when babies are born, it's kind of that look that moms give you. It's you can see, but do not touch. Simeon bypassed all that. He went and touched. 
and took the baby and held it up. And uh, what a remarkable scene this had to be. I'm sure Mary and Joseph were, you know, I don't know what Joseph was getting ready to do, but you're probably getting ready to brawl a little bit. Hey, what are you doing with my boy? But then they recognized very quickly, Simeon, of course, was simply glorifying God. He says that prayer out loud, Lord, now let us thou thy servant depart in peace. And I love this next phrase. It says this, according to thy word. What's the word revealing in your life? Do we have the patience? The lesson here about Simeon is patience. Do we have the patience to wait for God to reveal? Do we know his word well enough to, to say, hey, listen, I can rest and wait because of what the word of God says. The Bible often talks about being still. Are we able to be still? Are we able to pause long enough and, and see what God is trying to accomplish with his plan in our life? Are we trusting his word? I've often found my, in my own life those, those seasons where I get discouraged, where I get fearful, where I begin to look at circumstances instead of, instead of the Savior in control, it's when I've gotten away from the word a little bit. It's when I've gotten away from that which I know to be true. Even when things don't always make sense, the Bible never changes. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that means his word is as well. His promises will ring true. He has never failed to fulfill a promise that he has, he's never failed on those things. God's word is truth. And we can hold on to that and believe it. Simeon had to experience a lot of patience in his life. I think of Proverbs 13, 12, it says this, hope deferred maketh the heart sick. But when the desire cometh, it is a tree of life. You ever longed for something so much that you couldn't have it, it couldn't come near, and boy, it made you sick a little bit, heart sick, didn't it? I think of the college students that we're blessed with in campus church that attend PCC. And I know when we talk to some of the freshmen when they come, there's that, there's that longing to go home. It's usually right after registration or the first day of classes. Or, or for me, it was when I got the project list. I longed to go home. Uh, that longing that makes you sick a little bit. But the verse says again in Proverbs but when the desire cometh, it is a tree of life. Could you imagine Simeon's heart? I'm sure every day he longed for, to go home. He longed for that, that desire to get to the, the next chapter. And that day that he saw the baby, the day that the Christ child came in, could you imagine the feeling, the experience that he had as he realized God's word had come true? Are we willing to be patient and let God do the work? God has a grand plan. Luke chapter two is that plan. Are we willing to be patient to see it unfold? Hebrews chapter six, verse 12 says this, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Look back through your life. Look back through your family. Look back through scripture and see how many times God faithfully fulfilled his word. It'll encourage you. It'll motivate you and you'll be trusting what God has for you. Hebrews 12, verse one, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Boy, it's exhausting. Uh, we had the, uh, on the campus a couple weekends ago, we had the missions run for uh, stuff going to the, the Christmas project offering. I don't know why we ran 30 miles. It was exhausting. And I'm out of shape, I understand that. The microphone popped off, I get that. But, but uh, boy, I tell you, every turn I was like, okay, this is the last turn, we're almost at the finish line. And they kept extending the route. They saw me pushing a stroller and they, they, they giggled and they extended the route to make me sweat more. But then there was that turn, that final turn, and you saw the finish line. And there was a sense inside of me, I was like, hey, I can do this, I can finish this. 
And then it was even more exciting. My, my wife and two oldest kids had run ahead a little bit, and so they were there at the finish line cheering me on and, and amazed that I made it that far, I guess. But, but uh, they were excited for me. Listen, the race is, is long, and sometimes the journey is more than we anticipate. But with patience, we can run the race because God has a plan. James chapter 1, verse 4, but let patience have her perfect work, that she may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Do you think Simeon wanted anything else when he saw the Christ child? No, he was, he was fulfilled. He was at peace. He even said, Lord, now let me go. I'm ready. I've seen everything you promised. I'm excited more than I've ever been. I'm excited about the future because the, the future is here. May we have a life that is lived with great patience. Maybe we, may we be willing to settle into what God has for us. It may take a long time. It may be full of unknowns, but may our faith be strengthened and God be glorified. Very quickly this morning, if I could. The last lesson, the first one is the obedience shown by Joseph and Mary. Second lesson I see is the response by the shepherds, that, that readiness, that desire to go and to urgently give the gospel. Third, we see the patience from Simeon. And finally this morning, I wanna see the faithfulness that we see in this individual named Anna. Go with me to verse number 36. And there was one Anna. Anna means grace. Anna, the Bible describes here, was a widow. She had been a widow for 84 years. Widows at this time weren't very well taken care of. They were rejected, sometimes exploited because of the needs that they had. They, they were taken advantage of. Yet through it all, Anna showed the grace that was a testament to her life. Anna here was 84 years a, a, a widow, and the widow, uh, she was a widow of about four score 84 years, uh, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. She had recognized that while conditions in her life weren't what she'd hoped for, maybe it unfolded in a way that didn't quite make sense, she was gonna still serve God no matter what came up. Whether it was, it was being a widow for 84 years, whether it was the ridicule, the mock she got from society, she was going to faithfully serve. And what a great lesson we, had, we learned from the life of Anna. She was, first of all, known for her fastings, her sacrifice. She was willing to give up what was comfortable or maybe what was the most desirable to her so that she can commune with her Lord and be closer to him. She was known for prayers. It says here that she, she had prayers night and day. This is a convicting passage because I know that I don't pray as I ought to. We've heard some great messages in the last few months on prayer. And what would happen if we became people of prayer more than we already are? What would happen if we would take some time out of the busyness of our day to simply say, God, I wanna be faithful to you in prayer. It's how I talk to you. And God, may we commune, may we get closer through this avenue of prayer. She was faithful to pray, but then she was also faithful to give thanks. Look what it says in verse number 38. And, the coming, and she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord. Oh, she'd, she'd heard about the, the Messiah promised to come. She'd heard about the hope that was supposed to come, the, the consolation of Israel. She walks in this day and she sees Simeon holding this child. And immediately she gives thanks and says, God, thank you for all that you have done. Can you give thanks today? Can I give thanks today? Are we a people of gratitude? Are we a people that can say, hey, hey, God, listen, I don't understand everything that's taking place, or maybe you do understand some of it, but are you still willing to give thanks whether you understand it or not? Are we able to look at this, this faithfulness of Anna and say, God, no matter where you have me, I will remain faithful. 
God, no matter what you bring into my life, I will remain faithful to you. By the way, faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. God doesn't expect anything from us that he already himself has not offered. And he daily shows his faithfulness to us, even when we are oftentimes unfaithful to him. This one Anna showed a life of faithfulness, not just to the Lord, but to the service of the Lord. Hey, some of you would say, listen, I've been serving the same ministry for, for all these years. I, I don't know. If the, hey, listen, thank you for your faithfulness. Only, to, only eternity will tell the lives that have been transformed because of the faithfulness of God and his people. Well, uh, listen, I, I kind of feel tired. Or, or maybe you say, I don't know where to serve. Is there a place for me at campus church? Absolutely there is a place to serve. Find what it's like to be like Anna and plug into somewhere where you can minister to people and help influence lives and impact eternity with those in our community. We think of the Christmas product offering that was just given. What a tremendous amount brought in, but it's amazing to see what God can do with that amount and the lives that will be impacted because of the faithfulness of God and his people to be able to give. So this morning as we Look at Luke chapter two. I, I hope that you enjoy this passage this Christmas. If you're like us and you do the tradition of reading it, I hope that you'll see the value of what this passage is showing forth the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. But I also hope that you'll take a few moments and look at the lives of the characters in this passage. God's Christmas servants. Oh, there was nothing, honestly, there's nothing special about any of them outside of, uh, of, of what God had done with them. But they taught valuable lessons. They teach us about obedience. They teach us about passion for the message. They teach us about patience. And they teach us about faithfulness. So I ask you this morning as we head into closer to Christmas Day, how is your lesson learning? Are you able to see the passages in Scripture and recognize, God, that's for me? These characters weren't mentioned just for filler. There's a lesson to be learned. Are we willing to learn those lessons? And even greater than that, are we willing to let God reveal and unfold his plan in our life so that we can see him glorified to our family, to our friends, and to a lost and dying world that desperately needs the hope of the Prince of Peace?